If you have your Bibles today, I want you to turn to two passages. Uh, first in John 8, and then the second, put a marker in Acts chapter 16. John chapter 8, and Acts chapter 16, and if you're following along on the Bible app or you go to Calvary.online and click today's message, it'll launch the Bible app. All the notes will be there for you, and you can add your own notes. Just whatever you do, don't surf your social media. Most of you are on the front row, so I can see what you're doing. No, but truly, uh, um, make sure that you're, you're taking part. I believe God is going to speak to us this morning. Uh, as we continue in this series on uh, vision, light to see. Vision, light to see. And this is uh, kind of part two. And vision is, uh, is one of those things that is incredible when you understand it. And when you understand how it works, uh, um, most of you understand what it is to be driven by vision. I think most adults, anyway, are intimately connected to, to what it's like to live by vision. Here's what it's like. The alarm clock goes off. You peel back the blankets. You do not open your eyes. Somehow, you step over everything. You walk out of the bedroom you walk through your house and you magically arrive at the coffee maker. You fill it, it then begins to proclaim its heavenly song right in front of you. You pour the cup and with the first drink, your eyes are open. That's kind of what it's like living by vision. <laughs> that there is a sense of purpose and knowing where you are going. And I, I want all of us in a, a genuine and real way this year to live by vision. But if we're really going to understand how to live by vision, we've got to understand uh, how Jesus addresses revelation or how he addresses vision. And he addresses it uh, in John uh, chapter 8, verse 12. He speaks to uh, he was speaking, and he says this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Let me first uh, start by uh, making declaration for those maybe who are here and you don't have a relationship with God or per, per, perhaps you're here and you're just like checking church out, trying to figure out what this is, you know, what we're doing, why we're worshiping the way we're worshiping. Let me tell you, it is because Jesus is the risen son of God who came to save fallen humanity from their sins. Listen, Christianity is not about our pursuit of God as much as it is about God's pursuit of man. When we were helpless, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ demonstrated his own love for us that he came and he died and gave himself as a sacrifice for us so we could have restored relationship with God. This is Jesus. He is the transformer. He is not just a good teacher. 
They called him good teacher in Israel. He was so much more, so much more that when they called him good teacher, he says, why do you call me good? There is only one good. It is God. You know what he was saying? I'm God. I'm God in the flesh, and that is who he is. And, 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 and all of, of, of human machinations of attempting to step into illumination will never lead anywhere if they don't start with Jesus. If it doesn't start with Jesus, you really won't have vision. You'll probably have goals. Nothing wrong with goals. They're just about fourth on God's list. Vision starts with a revelation of who Jesus is. And vision is very important. If you, if you know that in order for me to walk in the illumination, the light that, that, sh that shines from Christ, it is also connected to following Christ. He said, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness. And now, for a long time, there, there have been uh, theologians. You've got to be a really good theologian to misunderstand the Bible. You do. And they, they kind of drew these lines like, okay, there are these people who are born again, and then there are followers of Christ. This is made up. This is make-believe. They, they were never separated in the early church. If you followed Christ in the time of the early church, you were so committed to that declaration, that public profession, that you were willing to lose your life over it. So there was no difference between becoming a person who was born of the Spirit and actually following Christ. And here's where, we, where God is trying to move us as a church, to, that, that we would not separate the fact of saying, wow, I'm on my way to heaven. As if heaven is the reward. Heaven is not the reward. It's just the gated community that God lives in. <laughs> Jesus is the reward. Listen, it'll be great to see grandma and grandpa, but I'm going to say, Susie Ward, get out of my way. I'm going to see Jesus. It's good to see you. I'll get back to you. I'm going to my reward it's him. It's Jesus. He's the light of the world. Heaven's never been the aim. Unless he got born again at six like me. I was like, fire without Jesus, gold streets with Jesus. I'm like, I'm not a smart kid, but I'll sign up for the gold streets. Plus, I was singing hymns about mansions. And we didn't have a mansion. We had a, a, a nice little ranch house that, was, that used to uh, uh, be connected to a little Willow Oak Assembly of God church. They sold that house to my family. I had no idea I grew up in a parsonage because <laughs> my dad wasn't a parson. <laughs> I had no idea. And so, uh, you know, we'd sing this, I got a mansion just over the hilltop. Hallelujah, I want Jesus and a mansion in Gold Streets. And, and somehow we've created this idea that all of that is the reward. That's not the reward. You think you're going to spend much time in your house in heaven? No way. I'm going to that mountain where there's a throne. 
and where there's angels shouting night and day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Where there are elders who are crowned with crowns by God who say, what? I'm casting this down at your feet saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. He's the reward. You see, if, if, if we've, we've gotten the wrong picture of Jesus, we'll have the wrong sense of what vision really is. It comes out of revelation of who he is. All real vision in life comes and flows out of that place. You say, how, how important is it to have vision from God? It's very important. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. It says, where there is no vision, this is King James, the people perish. But happy is he that keeps the law. Come on, where there is no vision, people perish. Listen, if you don't have a, uh, this is what the scripture says, if you don't have a, a, a sense of God's desire for your life, how he wants to work in you and through you, there's a part of you that's dying. There's a part of you that is not walking in the fullness, the abundant life promised by Jesus in John chapter 10. He says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. But that life is directly connected to his vision for you, not our vision for us. Anybody ever have their own vision for their life? Man, I couldn't believe it. I was so messed up as a high schooler, I wanted to be a dentist. Listen, if we have dental but people who work it, thank God for you. But, you know, as I think back on it, the idea of working in other people's mouths all day long doesn't stir me in the right way. I was like, what are you thinking? God got a hold of my life a couple years later. Vision is so important. You know, when you look at that verse, Proverbs 29, 18, from the New King James, it says it this way, where there is no revelation the people cast off restraint, but happy is he that keeps the law. Um, two things I want to just say about it. Uh, first, <coughs> revelation means I have a revelation based upon my relationship with God. I have a revelation of who he is, and I have a re revelation of who I am in his hand and under his influence. And he says, the people without that, they cast off restraint. The picture is this mighty steed, this mighty horse. Yet this mighty horse, without the small restraints of a rein, runs wherever it wants to go. It just runs here and there. And yet the horse, in all of its glory, was meant to be bridled so it could accomplish a task fearlessly and, and furiously, even under Jehu, if some of you know who that is, this man who rode furiously. What was he on? He was on a horse that had reins. And God wants to do something through your life, but it will be directly connected to vision. And your life will have purpose when you have revelation of who he is and who he has made you to be. Now, it goes on to say, and happy is he that keeps the law. Here's another little, little twist that sometimes we, we get a little messed up uh, in, in our church experience. We hear the law bad, the law bad. So anytime that we read the word the law, we think something negative. But yet here in Proverbs says, happy is he who keeps the law. 
Uh, the word keeps means treasure. The word law there is Torah. It means God's instruction. Anybody ever been thankful for God's instruction in their life? Yes. Like where God spoke something to you so clearly and you're like... Oh, thank you, Lord. Perhaps you were reading the scripture. I mean, and it just leapt off the page. You knew today's reading was for you. you. Maybe you'd read that scripture a thousand times before. But today, that was a word for you. And, 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 and what do you do? What do you do after that? Well, you, you, you say, wow, I now can run in that cause. And what shows up? Happiness. There's way too many sad people in the church. I think I know why you're sad. Because you're pretending to treasure what God has said. There's a lot of people dealing. Happy is he who lives for God. Happy. I'm going to try and get some smiles out of this side. Happy. You ought to be happy that Jesus is in your life, that God is speaking to you and directing you. Happy is he who keeps God's instruction. It's not burdensome. It's not going to wait. You ought to be happy. Matter of fact, when Jesus shows up in your life, he shows up through the Holy Spirit, and one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. That doesn't belong to you. That belongs to him. So if you're walking around sad, you're suppressing the Holy Spirit. You ought to be happy. Man, happy I'm on my way to heaven, but happy he's walking with me right now. He's with me. Man, that's good preaching. It's not even the subject today. Vision keeps us on course. It keeps us running our race. I'm going to give some free advice today. If you'll live by vision, you will stop inspecting other believers' lives and comparing your life against theirs. And you'll stop the gossip that you hide behind and call it a prayer list. Stop it. You start living by vision, you don't have time to work out somebody else's salvation. You're working out your own salvation, according to Philippians, with fear and trembling. Vision sets the court. Man, I got my race to run. Why am, I, why am I worried about how they're running their race? I got no opinion about you. All these Christians who are barking and biting at each other, they're doing it the wrong way. They think their whole life is to criticize other, other believers. And I just want to tell you, criticism is not a spiritual gift. It's not. You're not being spiritual. You're being carnal. Come on, get a vision from God and run after what he has for you to do. Stop criticizing people so much and say, God, I want you to speak to me so I can run my race. So I can fight my fight. Listen, I don't think it's a rare thing that we, when we read the Apostle Paul and he knows his last days are coming, this is what he said, I've run my race. Now there is therefore laid up for me a, 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 a laid up this, this whole reward. Why? Because he ran his race. Church, vision is about running your race. But it's directly connected to a revelation of Jesus. Now, I'm going to quickly walk through a passage. It's pretty meaningful. Acts 16, starting in verse 6. 
I just want to call your attention to somebody who lived by vision and, and perhaps just some practicals that you might see in your pursuit of living God's vision for your life. I want you to see this. Acts 16, 6 through 10 says, Now when they, this is speaking of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, had gone through Phrygia, the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go down to Bithynia, uh, but the Spirit of the Lord did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Here's what I want you to understand about vision. Here's what we can learn from uh, this passage. First thing, write this down, vision flows to the obedient. Vision flows to the obedient. Notice in verses 6 through 9, it says, When we went through uh, Galatia, first it says, They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what they were trying to do. To preach the word in Asia. Then they went to Bithynia, and it says the Spirit did not permit them. So they went to Troas, and a vision appeared. Now this is where everybody who likes a list really gets messed up. Why? Because we as a church have a command given by the Jesus himself in Mark chapter 16 that says this. Go preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures. It, go into how much of the world? Go into how much of the world? How many creatures? All of them. So here's Jesus giving this statement. Go into all the world. And yet we find in Acts chapter 16, the spirit of God says, not there. Then they try again. The Spirit of God says, nope, not there. And then vision came. So, what does this mean? Everything in the kingdom flows out of relationship with God. Everything, including preaching the gospel. Including sharing the gospel. How many of you have ever been in a conversation with somebody that you know is not listening to you, they're just waiting on the next thing they have to say. <laughs> so they say something, you try to respond, there's a glazed over look in their eyes, thinking, I now need to say the next thing, so I'm actually not processing at all what you have just heard. Sometimes, well-meaning Christians share the gospel that way. They go before people, they make their statement, their memorized scripture. That person responds. They don't listen. Then they say something else, and it's like there's no meaningful connection there. Now listen, I want to give you some really good practical pastoral advice. Whatever you do, don't bruise green fruit. Don't bruise green fruit. Green fruit. You say, what does that mean? That means that there are people 
who God is working on, who God is changing their heart. He is, he, he's drawing them into the kingdom. But you know what? Your job isn't to go down and cut down the tree. Your job is to partner with what the Holy Spirit is saying to do right then. So it could be that what you're supposed to do is to share a testimony of what God's doing in your life and create a little bit of thirst as the salt that you're called to be that they begin to thirst for God in their life in that way. And that, and that, and that you know, instead of, you know, you need to be sensitive to this. Now, there are other times where you just need to walk up and say, hey, it's time. But you do that out of relationship with God. I remember one time I was ministering in the, in the streets of New Orleans, and I was with a team, and we were there at Mardi Gras. And uh, my, my sister and this group, the, we, 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 we went there uh, with the church, and she had this little kind of quartet, and they were singing a doo-wop version of, of Amazing Grace. It was kind of cool. So, you know, New Orleans is all about music, so anybody singing gathers a crowd, right? And they're like, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, whoa, whoa. Saved a wretch like me. And all these people start gathering around, right? And, uh, and they're drunk and half naked. And they're like, whoo, yeah, yeah. You know, they are not there for Jesus, okay? They are there for Fat Tuesday. Don't go to Mardi Gras for that. You can go to, you can go in outreach. So, but there I was, and there was this guy, he caught my eye, and um, the Lord says to me, just go up and ask him, what are you doing here? I'm like, God, that's not very kind. <laughs> they trained us differently than that. I'm not supposed to do that. He says, do it. And I literally, I walked up to a guy I had never met before. I did not even introduce myself. I said the words that the Lord told me to say. I said, sir, what are you doing here? And there, with the alcohol in his hand and on his breath, his eyes begin to well up with tears. He says, I've come down here to hear the word. I'm like, what? I'm like, you have come to the right place. In minutes, in minutes, he's breaking every rule. In, in New Orleans, when you're there and you're ministering, and there's 14 million people in seven city blocks, and most of them, uh, they don't really love Christians because Christians usually just shout hateful things at them. You should learn that's not a real effective way of reaching the lost. Amen. Amen. Try love and being led by the Spirit and saying what God's saying. And then, uh, I, just in a few moments, I said, after just, uh, just a few words, I said, do you want to give your life to Christ? He says, I do. My brother is actually a pastor. He's been praying for me for years. And today, I'm, go I'm giving my life to Christ. Now, what we do is we pray in the street differently than we pray in here. Here we close our eyes. We feel the atmosphere. When you're in the street, you pray like this. <laughs> just keep an eye over there. <laughs> Say, dear Lord Jesus, <laughs> you can close your eyes, but I'm not going to, you know. Uh, and uh, he actually broke a rule, and this is what he did. He, I said, when you wanna give, if you want to give your life to Christ, I'll lead you in a prayer. And he actually put his knees down in that cobblestone street filled with 
nothing good. And I looked at him, and I thought, what am I going to do? That's breaking the rules. So I got down on my knees with him, and I led him to Christ right there in the street. And in a moment later, and a moment later, he's, he's getting set free of alcohol. I mean like this. He gives his life to Christ. The next moment, God's setting him free from alcohol. It was incredible. But what am I saying? I'm saying to you that everything we do, including preaching the gospel, has got to come out of relationship with God. See, vision flows to the obedient. Here we have this command to preach the gospel in Mark 16, and yet twice God says, hey, don't do it to Paul. Can you imagine? He could have said, I'm preaching. What would have happened? Anybody ever uh, had those moments where you hit a closed door and you, you actually, you thought it was the devil, but it was God? There's this great theologian of our time named Garth Brooks. <laughs> he wrote about his theology in a song that said, Sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Oh, and one day you young people will run into that person you were praying for in a relationship and you'll be like, Oh, thank God he did not answer that prayer. Lord, what was I thinking? <laughs> you see, when you're faithful to trust God with closed doors, then he will be faithful to reveal the open door. And some of God's greatest gifts are those unanswered prayers because truthfully, not only in Proverbs 14, verse 12, but in Proverbs 6, 16, there is, according to wor the word, there is a way that seems right to man whose end is what? Death. It's death. And there are ways that seem right to us. But here's what we got to do. We have to be obedient to God. This is what John 8 is saying. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me. We follow God in obedience to him. Obedience has become like a cuss word in the church. And it shouldn't be. We live to be obedient to God. We love him. And so we want to walk in his light. And, it's, and vision flows to the obedience. So when they were faithful to walk with Jesus through the moments they didn't understand, God spoke uh, so they could understand. And God opened a door in Macedonia. By the way, just so you understand, one of these regions that they were forbidden to preach is called Galatia. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> Happens to be a book in the Bible that Paul goes and reaches. So it wasn't that God's saying, I'm not interested in the people of Galatia. He said, I have a, an assignment for you right now in Philippi. 
That's where he was sending him, in Macedonia. He sent him to the Philippians. He's like, I need to reach Philippi now so those people will actually send you to Thessalonica and back to Galatia. Because he had a purpose behind it. Listen, when you hit a closed door, don't think every closed door is the devil. Sometimes God closes a door because he needs to position you to get you to his open door. Some of y'all been hitting closed doors trying to escape this county. You're like, I'm trying to escape. Boom, and I hit a closed door. I need to move on. There, needs to, there will be a Starbucks somewhere where I live next time. <laughs> Boom. And you hit a closed door. What you need to do is pause long enough to have vision come. Uh, I, I do want to say, please, please, uh, your promised land will remain a desert if you keep cursing it. But if you'll begin to bless this place as it is, your promised land that God has fashioned you and purposed you and put you here by his vision, he'll open a door for ministry and allow you to be a part of something historic where many people come to Christ, where many people experience the power of a resurrected Savior. Don't just run after your dreams, run after his vision. Second thing, out of this passage is that vision includes other believers. Look at this passage. This is so good. Verse 10, it says, Now after he had seen the vision, this is Paul, immediately, notice these words, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Much of what we are called to do for God is a corporate call. God may speak to uh, uh, one of you and release a powerful vision, but then what is the next thing that we should do when God releases his vision? We should start looking for other people to run with into that vision. It says, when Paul got the vision, we sought to go. We sought to go. Because vision is never meant to be experienced alone. I know that flies in the face of, of rugged American individualism and in that each one of us is trying to make our way to the top. But I'm going to tell you that the kingdom of God is exactly opposite of that. It is, it is we. If you're a leader in the body of Christ, you're not called to be on the top. You're called to get underneath other people and equip them for works of ministry. And you hold their arms up. And in order to walk in vision, you need to be looking for the people that God has called you to run with. That's why there are tables outside today so that you can find the people that you're called to make a difference for, for Christ's sake. You're actually supposed to partner with somebody in this church. Build a relationship. Sharpen one another. Grow together. Get, get connected relationally. Why? Because God has a people to reach. There's something that God wants to do through your life. Habakkuk 2, when we begin to understand uh, vision and what the Lord was speaking about it to the prophet Habakkuk, he said this, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. Listen, 
vision must be clarified. Why? Because God wants other people to understand it. When God speaks to you, when God gives you insight about who you are and who he is, it's meant to be shared. It is meant to be shared. And you ought to write it down and you can clarify it. Why? Because there are those who will read it and run with you. They will run with you into God's purposes. And that will be the vision they pick up and run with for the rest of their life. Could be. Another translation says it this way. Write it down. Make it plain, the message. So the one running with it can speak it and others understand it. You see, God's vision for your life, you living by vision, is not just about you. It's about you running with other brothers and sisters in a corporate call after God's heart. Life groups are the platform that we forge that relationship with other people here at Calvary. Say, how important is it, Pastor? Really, do I need to do that? Paul thought it was important. Whenever he was talking in 2 Corinthians, he actually brings this whole idea up. He says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed from Macedonia. What did he say? He said, listen, I went, I was in the right place. God opened a door for me, but I didn't step into it because I didn't have somebody to run with into that vision. So what did he do? He moved on. He says, how important was it? It was very important that he be running with somebody. And it's very important for us as a church to run with one another after God's call. The third thing, you can write this down, and this will be, be the close. Vision for all of us. It's about increasing the kingdom of God. Notice the conclusion they make in Acts 16.10. It says, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. It was all about increasing the kingdom. That they were to carry the message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had come. That he had died on a cross as a payment for sin. God's perfect sacrifice. That he was buried and on the third day raised from the dead. And all who by grace through faith come into relationship with God through him will be saved. They won't perish but they will have everlasting life. This was the message that they were convinced that they were called to carry. And why did they have vision? Vision was about expanding God's kingdom. It's nice that you maybe have a a, a, a vision for a, a better family. That's amazing that things would be better in your household. That's incredible. But do you dream about raising up tomorrow's teacher of the gospel? Do you raise about uh, uh, dream about raising up tomorrow's preacher, the, the, those who would build the kingdom of God? Do you, do you have a vision that goes beyond just seeing you as a success and then being a part of this ever-increasing kingdom that Jesus is giving, is, uh, giving increase to? That's what vision is connected to growing God's kingdom, not ours. You see, God wanted to reach Philippi. A few years ago, there were missionaries standing on this stage who were trying to get to Macedonia, and literally God showed me a vision. And as a, a, a youth pastor, I knew I was supposed to go to Macedonia. Macedonia. 
I knew nothing about it. I didn't even really know where it was. I just knew I was supposed to go. This was 2008 that I was supposed to take a bunch of young people with me to go. And there was a, a missionary who was here. I thought, wow, we'll connect with those missionaries. Turns out when we got there, they weren't even there yet. I'm like, oh, what are we doing? So we connected with another missionary. And, and soon enough, when we, when we understand that real vision is about expanding the kingdom, we found ourselves in the city dump, gathering Muslim children out of the dump. We did something like a vacation Bible school for those guys and preached the gospel to these Muslim kids, and many of them gave their lives to Christ. I love that one of these kids, oh man, he was 15 years old and had been divorced twice already. Yeah, you know what he said? He said, my second wife talks too much. I looked right back at him and through the interpreter, I said, bro, you need Jesus. <laughs> you need Jesus. I think he was angry about his name. His name is circumcision. Just saying, that's true, that's true. See, if you follow vision, not only, not only will you see kingdom inc increase, you get to tell wonderful stories. That is the absolute truth, absolute truth. Many of those kids were fed, we reached them, and then they came up with a parent night. All of these Muslim parents then came, and you know what they did? Because this doesn't make the news. They came to us as Christians and thanked us for preaching God's word to their children. They could see the light of God in their eyes. And they were trying to wrap their understanding and their background around what they were seeing in their kids. And we got to tell them what it was. It was Jesus, the light of the world. You see, real vision, even when it sounds crazy, is about expanding God's kingdom. And I want to say to you uh, just publicly, um, in 2019, I believe this church grabbed hold of vision in this area like never before. In our history, which is almost 30 years, actually just turned 30. In 2019, I want you to listen, when a people together, prayed together and believed together, we saw 393 decisions for Christ in salvations and rededications to the Lord. 393. And guys, if you've ever been to one of our baptism services, you guys know what happens. None of you sign up, but you all get baptized. We had baptisms, we had people getting discipled, new people added to the church. Listen, you know what that is a part of? People saying, God, I want your vision and I want to see your kingdom exp expanded. Can I ask you this question? What would it look like this year? What can it look like this year if we, would, as a people, will get a vision from God to say, Lord, we want to see your kingdom expand. We'll, we'll move from 393. We'll see 1,000 people born again in 2020. And listen, that's not far. That's not outlandish. And you just say, well, what will we do? We hardly have space. But we do have time. 
And we can start a third service. Listen, we will minister the gospel to people. We will lay down our lives if we as a church will say yes to what God is speaking to us. Be knit together. Strengthen relationships. Get a vision that doesn't start with my own personal increase, but it is connected to God's desire to see his kingdom increase. And we will see it. Why? Because God loves people. He loves people in this region. You know who he loves? He loves the one that's just waking up, was so hung over last night. Up way too late watching MMA. That's some of y'all nodding off in this sermon. They were, they're hung over this morning. Not feeling good this morning. You know who God's thinking about? He's thinking about them. That drug addict that's wondering where the next meal is because they spent their whole check from Friday already. That's who God's thinking about. And you know what he's, if we would dare to take a moment to get a vision and stop running into the closed doors that God, where we're just trying to escape and run to the open doors of people he's trying to reach, here's what he would do. He would use this place in a dynamic way to see more and more people come alive to Christ, to get filled with his spirit. We'll see people healed. We'll see people empowered by God, sent into their callings like never before. It is what God is dreaming about. I have this question for you today. What are you dreaming about?